The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. Now, here's something that I've learned, okay? So I want you to, to dial in. You'll learn a little bit uh, about me, not that you need to know any more, but it, it, it could be helpful. You might understand some things. I live in massive extremes. My wife is laughing because that defines everything. You know, I'm either on like a, 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 some crash diet or I'm like buying donuts by the dozen or, you know, I mean, it's just silly, right? If I could just find the middle of the road, probably be just fine. But I live in massive extremes, especially as it concerns uh, uh, privacy. I mean, I'm either living very publicly and, and have no problem being in front of people or speaking in front of people or, or telling people, you know, everything there is to know about me, or very privately where, you know, the lights are off and the doors are locked. Kind of like a Christian's house on Halloween, right? Something like that, right? Where it's like, are they home? I can't tell. Are they, you know... And, and I have that going on. It's kind of a personal thing. It's not a, a boast. It's just a thing. And so I'm sharing it with you. But I realized something years back. I mean, I, I would see as I was reading in the scripture that, that, you know, Jesus and his life and the example and then the Apostle Paul and all of these, these men that, and women that have set examples that we're meant to, to notice and, and make note of and, and uh, measure our lives by. They had something in common. I mean, they, they lived very personal lives. I mean, they had their own life. And then they had a very uh, corporate existence. Corporate meaning, you know, for the, for the body or the group at large. And I've come to realize something, that everything that happens in my life personally has a corporate purpose. I think you could say the same thing for you. I just don't want to put words in your mouth, right? I mean, here's an example. I'm, Jesus empties himself, and he, he comes from heaven to be a man. He's born, you know, baby Jesus. We're about to step into that season. If you've been to, to Lowe's, they've already got snowmen out and Christmas trees out. I mean, like, used to, they just skipped Thanksgiving, right? Now they're in October. It's just, it's getting earlier and earlier. So pretty soon, you know, you'll buy your fireworks, and then you'll get your Christmas tree. So, you know, that'll be how they move in that direction. But, you know, I would notice these things that, you would see Jesus, he empties himself, he, he becomes a, a man and he lives his life and all of this, all of his personal experiences have very corporate purpose. I mean, everything that he did in his life personally, we now read about or see or he would use in his examples to teach. And that's really meant to be the same for, for us. Your personal life has a corporate purpose. God has allowed you to experience things in your personal life that you can now use to minister or help other people. That's really what that means. And so for me personally, I've come to see when I've had, uh, you know, times where I've just thought, you know what, uh, this, I'm really losing it. I'm at the end of my rope. I've come to realize, you know, I could either fuss about that or I could find out, God, why am I at this place? What's the point? What's the purpose? And most of the time, if not all of the time, a purpose or a point has been revealed, and it has a very corporate purpose. I mean, Jesus got to experience things like temptation and, and suffering, all so that he could relate to us. 
So why would my life or your life be any different? You're going to get to experience things that you might think are unjust. I don't think Jesus deserves to be tempted, and I sure don't think he deserves to suffer, but yet he did. Also that he could relate to me, who definitely deserves to be tempted and definitely deserves to suffer. Your life is no different. We're going to have experiences that God has ordained in order for us to be able to relate with others. In order for us to be able to relate with people that we work with or, or people in the community or people in the church. And so this week, I'm, I'm you know, moving through this week and I'm realizing that this week is a blur. I mean, I, I kind of got in, in trouble. I mean, when I get in trouble, let me tell you something. Ashley is extremely gracious as a wife. She will let me know, you know, what, what's going on here is not healthy. So you don't picture, you know, brawls and fights and me having a big frying pan-sized dent in the back of my head or anything like that. You'll never meet a more appropriate woman in handling those things than Ashley. She's phenomenal. But she did let me know, hey, listen, what's going on? And I've been keeping track of it. You need to look at this because it's destructive. So I would get up and go and, and work and labor and work and labor, and then I, I would come home, and then I promised, you know, listen, I'm going to get some time with the boys. And so I would come home and eat dinner, and as soon as dinner was done, she'd be going to put them to bed, and, and I'd say, hey, i got to go back out. You know, and you'd be back out at work, and, and you know, you start to look at the, the hours and the time and the effort and all of those things, and you can always justify it, right? Well, it's a season. It's a season. It's just for a season. It's just for a time. And the reality is in, in that situation, it's always a season. It's always a time. And it's always godly stuff too, right? Stuff that's good. Maybe visiting someone in a hospital or, or doing a, a job. It's good to have a job, right? I mean, that's a good thing. So it's good stuff. It's stuff that even God has given me or called me to. But the issue is the volume. And the question is, is this a good thing or is this becoming a bad thing? Is this good thing becoming a bad thing? And I kind of want to talk about that today because I think that personal experience could have a real corporate purpose. And, and I hope that what I share with you today will make sense to you and maybe alter how we see some things, okay? Because I think that, no pun intended, based on what we're about to read, I think we're all in the same boat. So I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. You've got your Bibles there. You can flip through the pages. Mark chapter 4. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find as we get into the Word this morning. So I encourage note-taking. If you're able to jot some things down, it would be a good thing to do. Uh, some things that you can look forward to and anticipate, you know, as we get into the Scripture and then also, some of these things may really stand out to you as something that you'd really like to see in your life or, or it might, you know, pique a curiosity and, and help you stay engaged as we pursue the, the scripture for these things. The first thing we're going to find is how to keep. I want you to say keep. Yeah, keep. Keep is different than make, okay? Keep. How to keep peace. How to keep peace. Peace is constantly under attack, and it's under attack because it's extremely valuable, and we'll talk about that in a moment. We're going to find out how to keep peace. A second thing we're going to find is what is needed for righteousness. What's needed for righteousness? I mean, I've grown up in, in church, and really and truly for the longest time I grew up in church, but I wasn't a believer. I thought I was, but it was not the case. I, I had 
no idea why I went. It was just an obligation. I, my parents went. I grew up doing it. So surely it must be right and true. And so that's what I did. And so as I pursued, you know, trying to pay attention and listen, I heard about the things that I should do and the things that I shouldn't do. But righteousness was really always a struggle making the right choices, doing the things that God appreciated and valued versus the things that were destructive. That was always a struggle. And I, per I believe personally it's because I didn't have what was needed in order to have righteousness. We're going to find out what that is, what's needed, what's necessary for righteousness. And then a third thing we're going to find is who Jesus is and needs to be. Who Jesus is and needs to be. So I had you turn to Mark chapter 4. I want to get into the scripture here in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Now as we get into what we're reading here, we're going to find that first thing. How to keep the peace. We're going to find it. So in Mark chapter 4, there's amazing things going on. I mean, we, we've talked about this passage of scripture before, and some of it may say, sound kind of familiar, but stay with me because we're going somewhere specific. Now Mark chapter 4 contains... A, a moment that reveals things that can happen in my life and in your life. So it starts like this. I want to begin reading in verse 35. On that day when evening came. Now I want to start right there. On that day when evening came. So evening is late in the day, right? So you know the, the day had other events. It had morning. It, it had, you know, noontime. And, and this, the day and the days leading up to this evening contained really incredible things, really godly things. You had church services, you saw really awesome, powerful things, you know, miracles, and, and just incredible things. So these, these daytime events are, are a celebration. They lead people to be at a high point spiritually and emotionally. I mean, these are good times, right? Good things are happening and things that you know are God-ordained. Things that God's called into existence. So the morning has gone by and the noon has gone by and now evening comes. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And keep in mind, that's you and that's me, right? You might as well be standing right there. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, anything Jesus says recorded in the scripture to his disciples, he's saying it to you. And he said to them, hey, let's go over to the other side. Now you have to understand there's a body of water dividing communities. And all of these church services that have been so powerful and so important and so necessary for all of these people who are hurt and wounded and broken and rejected, they've been so amazing that Jesus is basically saying they need it too. And we've been over here and we've been doing these things, but we need to move over there because they need it too. And everyone's excited when they hear this, all because of what they've witnessed. They've seen God doing great things. Now verse 36, it says, Leaving the crowd... They took Jesus along with them in the boat. And other boats went with them. Now verse 37. And there arose a fierce gale wind. And the waves were breaking over the boat to where much of the boat was already filling up. It says Jesus was asleep. He was asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and they said, Teacher, don't you care that we're all dying? Don't you care that we're dying? Now, we've talked about this before, and we've laid great emphasis on that passage 
before. And I think we ought to put some emphasis on it today, but we're not going to the same place where we've gone before. I mean, for me in my life, as I told you, I want to pull from my life to, to share that personal experience that maybe it has a corporate purpose. You know, you can be going and going and doing all the things that Jesus wants you to do. I, I was at every service. I, I was ministering and serving people. I was doing these things. And now here we are. I'm doing what you're saying to do now. And look at this. It's a mess. Don't you care that my marriage is in trouble? Don't you care that I haven't had any time with my kids? Don't you care that I'm exhausted? Don't you care that I'm dying? You can have those kinds of moments in your life. But something incredible happens here, and it doesn't just happen to be spooky or weird. It happens as an example, an example for you and an example for me. In this moment of crying out, in this moment of being overwhelmed by outside circumstances, the wind and the waves are outside circumstances. And in a moment of giving in to the pressure of outside circumstances, this crying out takes place. Don't you care? I've done everything you've asked me to, and here I am dying. And Jesus got up. We're in verse 39. He got up, and the word in most of your Bibles is going to be rebuked. And he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea. So if he rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, he obviously engaged how many things? Two, right? The wind and the waves. He engaged the outside circumstances. We need to really pay attention to that. If I were taking notes, I would write that down. Jesus engaged the outside circumstances. He didn't engage the crying people. He engaged the outside circumstances. Now, I want to pause there for a second because oftentimes we begin to engage the people that we're closest to rather than engage the outside circumstances. A schedule can get full and, and become ridiculous. It can be too much and overly taxing. It can become unbiblical where someone hasn't known Sabbath rest in some time. A schedule can rise up and create all those problems. And before you know it, instead of engaging the outside circumstances, you have husband and wife engaging one another. Strife and conflict and fighting. Or you have children and parents engaging one another. Or you have employee and employer engaging one another. We're not meant to engage the people. We're meant to engage the circumstance. And Jesus stands and doesn't begin to engage the disciples who are crying and, and letting him know that they are in desperate need and they're perishing. He doesn't engage them. But he engages the circumstances themselves. And he speaks these words, Hush, be still. And the wind died down. And it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they became very much afraid. Isn't that interesting? Jesus is engaging them on the level of their fear. And when he's encouraging them, they get even more afraid. And I have to think it's because we don't really catch what's going on here. And I'd like today to be the day where we catch it. 
It says that when he said this, they looked at one another and they said, who is this that even the wind obeys his voice? That even the sea obeys him. You see, what happened here was they were in a moment where, where they were suffering and they were afraid. They thought it was all coming to an end. And Jesus does something. And when Jesus does it, it freaks them out. They see Jesus as, as having some superpower. That's, he's different than them and he's spooky and we don't understand it. And so now, instead of being encouraged and educated, we're even more afraid. But Jesus isn't doing this to show off. He's not doing this to say, guys, come on, man, I got this. You know, ooh, ooh. He's just living his life as an example. Showing us how we can carry ourselves in moments where instead of crying out that we're perishing, we can begin to engage the circumstances. He's not doing this because he's God. He did this as a man just like me, just like you. And he did it to be an example for us. So what I'd like to do is take a look at what he did and ask God to do something in us, to equip us, to renew our minds and empower our hearts, to begin to function like Jesus and get the results that Jesus gets. So I want to just consider what a storm is so that we can all come to a place where we understand that we know what a storm is or maybe we're all familiar with it. Maybe we're all going through a storm right now, okay? So if you turn to the dictionary and you look up the word storm, you're going to find this is the definition. A, a disturbance in the atmosphere. Okay, well, many of us, when we have storms, there's a disturbance in the atmosphere, a disturbance in the atmosphere of your home, a disturbance in the atmosphere of your marriage, a disturbance in the atmosphere of your relationship with your children, a disturbance in the atmosphere at the workplace. Sometimes where there was joy and celebration and, and things were good, all of a the sudden there's a disturbance and there's tension and there's strife and there's fighting. The atmosphere changed. I mean, there's been times where we've been working out things within marriage, and that's been the word. We've got to address the atmosphere here. This isn't about me versus you because we're on the same team. We've got to engage the atmosphere. And I can tell you that's a lot more effective than me versus you engaging one another. Jesus is engaging the atmosphere because there's a storm. By definition, a storm is a disturbance in the atmosphere. Another definition is a disturbed or agitated state. Agitation. Being disturbed. So we're pretty familiar with the storm. Have you ever known a storm in your life? A moment where the atmosphere had changed. It had become dangerous. It had become an outburst of things that were not peaceful, ungodly, where there was once smooth sailing, sunset, and all we could hear was the sound of beautiful violins, and now all of a sudden it's a racket, and the waves are crashing over. The entire environment has turned upside down. I mean, are you familiar with that? Could we all say we've walked through storms before? And some of us are going through storms even right now. 
So Jesus is dealing with the storm. Now I'd like to, to move on. After we've already affirmed that we have walked through storms or we are walking through storms, I want to take a look at what he did. Because remember, he wasn't doing it to show off. He wasn't standing saying, yeah, you guys don't have this power, but I got it because I'm God, so watch this. He's displaying to them, and he's, he's putting on a pedestal for all to see how every single child of God can function and operate when faced with a storm. And he's teaching us how to engage the circumstances. Now, I, I'm a big fan of the scripture. I love to know what the words mean. So if I had a, a library, it would be relatively small. I would want my Bible. I would want a concordance, which is really just a dictionary for the Bible. And then I would want a dictionary, an English dictionary, because I speak English. And it's important to know what the Word says. I mean, we're called to, to let the Word of God have a, an impact in our life. I mean, the Word of God is the power of God to save to all who believe. That's what the Scripture promises. But how are we going to know what the Word says if we don't know what the words say? So we need to understand something. That word rebuked there, when it comes into our mind, over years and years of language changing, we hear it as if it's a gripe or a complaint or some sort of a, a rejection. The word rebuke there is really not a good translation for us today. I mean, if I were to say, you know, Marcus came and he rebuked me, you would probably think Marcus came and chewed me out a little bit, right? Oh, my boss came in today and he rebuked me. You would feel like you were in trouble, right? But there's something going on here. I mean, the wind's not in trouble. The waves aren't in trouble. They're just doing what wind and waves are supposed to do. So we need to look at that word rebuke, and to do that, we turn to the concordance. We turn to the dictionary, and we look, and I want to give you a word that I'd like for us to use today. The word is charge. Charge. Now, that's not a word that we use very often, but I'd like for us to consider the word, to, to find the word, and let's put it to practice as it concerns what we've read here for the purpose of having Jesus' example become powerful in our lives. Charge, I want to look it up. Here it is in the dictionary. If you look up the word charge. A store or accumulation of force. Right? If you were to go and stick a paper clip in a light socket, you would really feel the charge of that socket. Right? Some of us, all of my screwdrivers have burn marks on them, by the way. And I'm very familiar with the charge that comes from, you know, all the AC in your house. So, uh, another definition. A definite quantity of power. And then here's a third definition. The ecclesiastical, that means like ministry, pastoral, but for us, priestly. You've got to understand that you're a priest. God made you a priest. He made me a priest. We're priests. This is a, a priestly jurisdiction. Well, what does jurisdiction mean? I mean, the Abilene Police Force has jurisdiction in the city of Abilene. It means they have the power and the authority to function and operate as they're supposed to within these boundaries. You and I have been given jurisdiction on the earth to operate in the authority of Jesus Christ. Another definition of the word charge here. And this one's probably one that rings out as the most familiar, the signal for attack. 
or a violent rush forward, right? Like, charge! But I want us to consider what we witnessed Jesus doing, and I want us to take that mentality that he is charging the circumstances. With an impelling force. You see, Jesus didn't do anything without first seeing his father do it. He says that. And that becomes kind of strange to us because then we think, well, I haven't really seen God do a lot of stuff, so how can I be just like Jesus? Jesus says, I don't say anything without first hearing my father say it. And we start thinking, well, man, how do you hear God? I I really want to hear God. I believe he speaks, and I I go and I pray and I fast, and I just get, you know, uh, nothing but ringing in my ears. Jesus is saying these things. I don't do anything on my own initiative. And he's not speaking riddles. He's speaking to a people who understand him perfectly at the time. And we can understand him right here and right now. All Jesus is saying is, I do the things that God shows me to do in the scripture. I do the things that God shows me to do in my life. I want to follow his instruction. And that's our call. That's my call. It's your call. And that call upon our life is meant to bring us to a place where we're functioning and operating just like Jesus. The men that were afraid, the men that felt further away from Jesus when they saw him calm this storm, they felt more afraid. We're more distanced. We don't feel closer to you or more affection for you. But we feel more distance. We feel like we're separated from you even greater than we felt before because we can't relate to that. But Jesus wasn't doing that to show off. Jesus was was actually fulfilling what the Scripture had already said. I want you to turn somewhere in your Bibles. I'd like for you to turn to Psalm 107. Everything that you see Jesus do was spoken of long before Jesus did it. And when we can't see that, then we feel distanced from Jesus. We feel like he performed this because he's some supernatural freak show that we can't relate to. And maybe one day if we try hard enough, we might come a little bit closer. But the reality is Jesus emptied himself of all of that divinity in order to become a man just like us. And he's functioning and operating in such a way as an example that we should see it, learn from it, and begin to do the same. So Psalm 107, I want to begin reading in verse 23. I'm going to read all the way to verse 30, so stay with me. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on the great water, they have seen the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he spoke and he rose up a stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea and they rose to the heavens and then they went down to the depths. Do you see what's going on here? A storm is being generated and it's rising high and it's tumbling low. And I think it's important to note who raised the storm. God did. And it goes on to say what's going on in the hearts of those who are in the ships. Their soul melts away in their misery. I mean, they go from being excited and joyful to coming to the place of saying, we're dying here. Don't you care? And they reeled and they staggered like drunken men. They were at their wit's end. That means they were at the end of their rope. I can't take it anymore. 
Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. Did you see that? Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He caused the storm to be still so that the waves of the sea were hushed. Does that sound a little bit like Mark chapter 4? All Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 4 is charging the current circumstances with the written word of God. You and I have the same call to do the same thing when we're faced with trial and tribulation. It's why it's important for us to have the Word of God in our hearts so that we can charge those situations and those circumstances with the Word of God. Any situation, any circumstance, being overlooked, being cast aside, you can charge that situation and charge that circumstance with I will humble myself under the mighty hand of God and He will promote me in the perfect time. You can charge any situation or any circumstance. In the midst of strife in marriage, you can say, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. My wife is not a bad thing. She's a good thing. When your children are driving you up the wall, you can prophesy, you can speak, you can charge that situation or that circumstance with that my children are a gift from God. Jesus isn't doing this to show off. He's not doing something that's absolutely supernatural and separates us even further from God. He's serving as an example to draw us closer to God, to show us that all of the Word of God is given to us to impart into the situations and the circumstances that threaten His plans for our lives. The storms. Your peace is under constant attack. My peace is under constant attack. Just peace is under constant attack. And here's why. Peace is precious. Let me tell you a few things about peace for your notes. You can write down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Your peace is being assaulted by the things in this world because God is the God of peace. Peace belongs to God. We often say this, and I'll say it again, of is a possessive word. I mean, you could say this is Preston's Bible, or you could say it's the Bible of Preston. Peace belongs to God. It's His. And all of the things in this world are bent on separating you from the things that belong to God, the things of His kingdom. Peace is under constant attack. Here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Sanctify meaning set you apart. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved and complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. I want you to note that God is mentioned as, he's named as the God of peace. To separate me from peace is to separate me from what God possesses. Peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. To separate me from peace is to separate me from the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. God's covenant is the covenant of peace, Isaiah 54.10. The mountains may be removed and the hills shake, But my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace 
will not be shaken. To separate me from peace is to separate me from God's covenant. Peace makes up the kingdom of God. Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. To assault my peace is to assault the kingdom of God at work in me. I'd mentioned before we were going to find how to have righteousness, what's needed for righteousness. Anyone who's struggling with righteousness, where there's the roller coaster of ups and downs and ups and downs, pay close attention to this. There's a necessary element in order for righteousness to prevail in our lives. James chapter 3, verse 18, it reads like this. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The seed whose fruit is righteousness. That means the seed that produces righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you and I aren't functioning and operating and living in peace, it's going to be very difficult for us to sow in our actions and in our words the things that produce righteousness. But as peace gets challenged, I get grumpy. I get mad and I get short with you. And if you push too hard, I just might push back. But when peace can prevail, when peace can be in me, in my foundations, you can push all you want. The words that I speak and the actions that I perform are going to lead you and me both to righteousness. We're going to find a solution that doesn't involve separation or strife or fighting or anger. Are you following me? Peace is a priority and that's why it's constantly under attack. What's attacking our peace? The storm. The situation and the circumstance that wants to interrupt what God's doing in our lives and lead us to a place of desperation where we feel like we're dying. And our only solution is to fight. But Jesus stands as an example. And He charges that storm with the truth, with what the Word says. All He did in Mark chapter 4 was stand and quote from Psalm 107. And he caused the storm to be still. All he did in Mark chapter 4 was quote Psalm 107. You and I have that same call and that same anointing to step in the face of any storm, any trial, any tribulation and begin to quote to those circumstances what God has spoken as true in his word. And no longer do we see Jesus as obscure and even further removed from us. We're no longer more afraid than we were than the, facing the storm itself. But you, whether we see, He set an example that we can live by. We feel closer to Him, drawn to Him, not pushed further away. I want to look at how we can charge any atmosphere. How we can instruct any atmosphere. How we can release the power of God's Word into any atmosphere. And we've been given a wonderful and mighty gift. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. They offer us this truth. God has highly exalted Jesus 
and bestowed upon him. Bestowed meaning put on him, given him, handed him. God has bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. So that that, at that name, at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. Of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus has served that example to show us how to engage the storms, the trials, and the tribulations. Offering that example that we can reveal what is true. And I think it's very important for us to abide in the Word and have the Word abide in us. I think it's important for us to know the Scripture in order to do just like Jesus. When you're faced with a Mark chapter 4, offer up a Psalm 107. But I know that God hasn't called me to mental gymnastics. He hasn't condemned those with a lower IQ to suffer and those with a better memory to prevail. But rather, He's given us one name, and that's the name of Jesus. One name to charge any situation, to charge any circumstance, to reveal to that situation and to reveal to that circumstance what is true. And what's true is that Jesus, Yeshua, the salvation of our God, that's what His name means, by the way, has been exalted above all situations, all circumstances. There's no wind that's strong enough to take this boat down. There's no wave high enough to sink this ship. Jesus. I mentioned we were going to find who Jesus is and needs to be. I'd like for you to take this down for your notes. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Jared, would you make your way up here, please, sir? Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It speaks of Jesus. Passages of Scripture that we'll become more familiar with as we close in on December 25th. And I think it's a shame that many of these passages are reserved to Christmas only. But rather this is an explanation. It's a revealing of who our King is and how He functions. These are the passages of Scripture that need to be on bumper stickers and t-shirts and be put in front of our faces every moment of every day. Isaiah chapter 9, it reads like this. Jesus, his name, will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There'll be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. There will be absolutely no end to the increase of peace. I want you to consider those names. Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Eternal Father. Prince of Peace. And I want you to think about any storm that you've ever encountered. Or any storm that you're currently encountering. I mean, any outside influence, situation, or circumstance that's coming to metaphorically sink your ship. Or you feel it, you feel stretched, you feel pushed. 
to the point of desperation where you're even crying out, don't you even care anymore? Don't you see what's happening to me? I want to offer this to you. There's not one of those names or combination of those names that's not the perfect solution to the storm that you would deal with. The situations and the circumstances that seem overwhelming to me right now. Father, I need your wonderful counsel. I feel powerless because all of the the power is held by those who hate me and want to destroy me in this situation. I need mighty God. I need your might, your strength to prevail. I'm feeling rejected hurt and wounded by those around me. I need you, eternal Father, to comfort me and strengthen me by your words of affirmation. I'm in the midst of total chaos. Jesus, Prince of Peace, come and rule and reign. And we have the opportunity to charge the situations, to charge the circumstances, to instruct them with what the Word of God promises. And just as the Word of God speaks to us, that all of those things are required to bow, I believe that when we function and operate in this way, those things bow. And it protects us from fighting each other. From battling it out with the people that are in the midst of the trial and the tribulation. And it brings us to a place where we can stand together, unified, and begin to face the trials and the tribulations as one. And come to a place where we enjoy God's Word coming to pass. I remember when I was a young believer, the the name Prince of Peace stuck with me. As a kid, I've always loved the nativity. Still do to this day. To see Jesus as a baby. It's incredible. And to come to know that it would be in perfect fulfillment of Scripture. Scripture. That God would be revealing to us, my son is going to fulfill my word even in his birth. So take note that everything that he does is fulfilling my word. If he stands on the end of a ship and tells the wind to be quiet, he's doing it to fulfill my word. If he stands before a tomb and says, come forth, he's saying it to fulfill my word. He can't even be born without fulfilling my word. It's meant to be an example for us. Not to put him in a place of distance, but to lead us to a place of drawing near. To realize that same call to function and operate with the word of God is upon me and upon you. That when we're faced with trials, we have a voice to release the scripture, to release the word, to release the name of Jesus. Wonderful counsel, might, 
the affection of a perfect father, and absolute peace. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.